Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We will be focusing our attention on the last handful of verses in chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Now, as we begin, I just want to remind us of why it is important to understand why it is that we preach through books of the Bible. Now, there are times when it's appropriate to preach on one verse from a book and its implications for a particular topic, like we did on Easter Sunday a few weeks ago. We looked at just a handful of verses in the book of Romans. But for the most part, the way that we grow in our knowledge of God's Word and its message for us isn't by taking isolated passages, but rather it is to study a book as a whole. You think of it this way. If you only study one verse in a book, it's like you're merely watching one scene from a movie. It might be a powerful scene. It might teach you something interesting. But you miss the depth of the story if you don't watch the whole movie. It was written, produced, and edited to be watched all together. And when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, he did so with the intention that the whole letter would be read. He didn't split this into chapters, let alone into verses. He didn't write it to be a string of wisdom pearls that we pull one out at a time. He wrote it to be read and understood as a whole. And even more than that, the Holy Spirit inspired this letter as a whole. To be understood as a whole. To be read as a whole. To be studied as one unified argument. And so we continue our study through Galatians so that we might better understand the whole of God's purposes for this book and for our lives. So here now, the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 23 and go through verse 29. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. O guide us, we pray, O Lord by Your Word and Your Spirit, that in Your light we might see true light and in Your truth find freedom and in Your will discover Your peace. We pray, O God, that You would give to us hearts to receive, that You would give to us humility to be changed by Your Word. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
our family is a bit of a mess. I've heard that or similar statements to that one throughout my ministry. As I sit down to begin premarital counseling or a discipleship session, people will often share how convoluted their family background has become through broken relationships and familial conflict. Broken and messy is not the exception in families. It is the rule. And this brokenness is no small issue. For it creates all sorts of negative long-term emotional, social, and physical side effects. You know the stress that is induced when a person you love becomes your adversary. Or when you are pressured to choose sides when people in your family cannot reconcile their differences. Now, of course, the most painful and destructive force in a broken family is divorce. However, the breaking of bonds between siblings or between a parent and a child can be just as emotionally taxing. When feuds make family gatherings no longer an option. When hurt feelings and unstated slights make holidays emotionally difficult. When brothers become so jealous that they are willing to sabotage each other's well-being. This past year has created more points of potential conflict than any of I have personally experienced. The coronavirus and the various governmental and institutional responses have created fracture points beyond measure. Are you for or against wearing masks in public? Are you for or against social distancing? Are you for or against receiving the vaccine? Gathering with family around the holidays this year was not just a logistical difficulty of deciding who would host and who would cook the Christmas ham. It also became a political or healthcare difficulty, a minefield of deeply held beliefs about how, where, when, and even if you should get together. And COVID's list of casualties will not only include those who died of the disease or whose long-term health was negatively affected but it will include the lasting effects of broken relationships. It will include families who will no longer gather together because Uncle George's negligence and endless political rantings or because of Aunt Shirley's insistence that everyone wear a face covering and use prepackaged plastic utensils at their outdoor socially distanced Thanksgiving. The bonds that unite families are supposed to be stronger than such seemingly small disagreements, and yet we continue to walk in the brokenness of disunity. We forget that our union is more than agreeing on every point of political or social dogma. And what has played out in our families has been multiplied in the church. The various approaches that churches have taken or have not taken have not satisfied the disparate views of their congregants. Churches have not opened up and have been accused of fear over faith. Churches have opened up and they've been accused of negligence and bravado over love for community. Some churches have followed the governor's mandates concerning social distancing and face coverings while others have not. On the day that I was writing this sermon, there was one news story of a church who was hosting a mass vaccination event. And on another website, another story of a pastor of a church who claimed that he had prophetic knowledge that his congregation was not to receive the vaccine. There are seismic shifts in our culture. 
that will create continental divides between families and between church members. And I know that each of you have felt this this year. It's like you are losing people that you once agreed with, that you once loved, and you even love now, but you are losing them to a false reality. And you wonder, how can we ever be united again? How are families, and in particular the family of God, to survive such times? Because it's not just going to go away. History tells us that we cannot assume that such differences will just resolve themselves if ignored. Our default is disunity. Why do you believe that on the night before Jesus was crucified, His prayer for the church was this, Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me that they may be one even as we are one. Unity in the family of God is a constant battle because there are real and important issues that truly divide us. How then do we preserve the bonds of our unity? How then will we be an answer to Christ's prayer for His church? In our passage for this morning, Paul tells us that the church maintains unity in the midst of true diversity. Because we share in one faith, we share in one baptism, and we are joined into one unified family of God. So first, we maintain unity in the body of Christ through our one faith. Look at verses 25 through 26 of our text. They say, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now last week we covered how the law acted as a guardian or a custodian that disciplined us and protected us from sin until the coming of the gospel. There was an outward law which prepared God's people until the coming of the new covenant in which the Spirit now writes the law upon our hearts. And Paul equates this new covenant era that we talked about last week with faith. Okay, He calls this faith. He says that faith has come and that we are sons of God through faith. This has been the consistent and constant drumbeat throughout Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're not accepted into the family of God through works of the law, but rather through faith in the promise of God. And here that idea is reiterated. The way that we come into the family of God is not through our personal obedience. It's not through our ethnic heritage. It's not through our socioeconomic status. It's not through our gender. It's not through our level of education. It's not through our spiritual experiences. Rather, the means by which one comes into the family of God is through faith in the promise of God. This is the foundation. This is the origin of our shared identity. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, people and nations will join together for any number of reasons that are pragmatic to the situation that they live in. Right? The USA and the USSR joined forces to defeat the Third Reich. 
But once the grounds for their union was gone, they went back to being enemies. The same happened as the U.S. supported Iraq in the 1980s. And then it quickly turned to hostility in the 1990s. On a lighter note, I'm willing to root for the Florida Gators if they happen to be playing Alabama as a Georgia fan. But once that game is over, you better bet that my support of Florida is over as well. And when it comes to our union with the family of God, we must understand that the foundation is our shared faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how you are joined to your brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason that you are part of this body of believers is not because you share an ethnic heritage or because you have a similar political viewpoint. Because if it is, once that changes, your allegiance and your bond of unity will be broken. The Word of God teaches, and we declare each time we recite the Apostles' Creed, We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, sometimes people have a hard time with that because they think that it has something to do with the Roman Catholic Church. It doesn't. The word Catholic is merely an older way of saying universal. And so we are declaring in the Apostles' Creed our belief that we are united to all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We are stating that there is a universality to the body of Christ that is not limited to our idiosyncratic expression of what the church might look like. We have to realize that there are people in the body of Christ living today and who have gone before us, who have gone into glory, who have held views that may be completely anathema to you. There are people in the body of Christ today and throughout history who held political theories, racial prejudices, gender roles, economic perspectives, personal hygiene practices, and child-rearing norms that would make you very uncomfortable to sit next to them in the same pew. Things that appear self-evidently good, right, and just to you might not be the same for others in the family of God. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is, what is the foundation of my membership in the broader universal Catholic body of Christ? How have I been joined to this body? And what would cause me to dissolve these bonds of unity? Is faith in Jesus Christ those grounds? Because if it is not the grounds for your membership, then the Word of God teaches that you are not a true member. For it is through faith alone that one is joined. And this is a bond that cannot be dissolved. A foundation that cannot be shaken. For we are joined not merely by a shared perspective, but rather by a shared Savior. As you look to Christ in faith, You are cleansed of your sin. You are born anew into a new creation. You are engrafted into the body of Christ. Your bond of unity with the body of Christ will only be maintained if it is founded on faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. 
The second thing that I want us to see in our text is that our unity with one another is sealed through one baptism. Sealed through one baptism. Look at verse 27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Talk about a topic for disunity in the body of Christ. There are not many topics that have created more disunity within the evangelical circles than that of baptism. Even within our own body, there are various opinions on who should be baptized and how they should be baptized. However, Paul is not directly addressing these questions about baptism. Rather, he is speaking about the spiritual reality behind the sacramental act. That is to say, he's speaking about our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit, which is signified in baptism. So when I have the chance to teach the Club 56 students about the sacraments, unfortunately I didn't get to do that this year, but in years past we cover sacraments and I teach them that sacraments are both signs and seals. They're signs because they point to a deeper spiritual reality and they are seals because as we receive those signs in faith, the Holy Spirit joins us to whatever is signified. Okay, so baptism, what is it a sign of? Well, it's a sign of our cleansing from sin, our spiritual rebirth, and our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. When we receive this promise in faith, the Holy Spirit brings to us each of these benefits. Baptism doesn't magically unify you with Christ. Paul did not spend three chapters arguing against circumcision as a means of justification merely to replace it with another outward act with baptism. No. What he is teaching is that through our true inward baptism by the Holy Spirit, signified by our outward water baptism, we are really and truly joined to Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are one with the body of Christ. You are in Christ. You abide with Christ. You live within His power and His Spirit lives within your heart. As you have faith in what baptism signifies by God's grace, you receive what is signified. Oneness with the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Wherever you fall on the baptism question, I think that we can all agree that the waters of baptism have no power to save you unless they are received with faith. And therefore, Paul continues this point with a word picture. To explain our union with Christ. For he says that we have put on Christ. All of those who have been baptized with His one baptism, you have put on Christ. Think of it this way. This is a piece of clothing that you have put on. When you're joined to the body of Christ, you put on Christ. He is your covering. He is your identity. If you're a doctor, when you put on the white coat and the stethoscope, you put on the identity of doctor. If you are in the military and you put on your fatigues, it shows that you are part of the Corps. Policemen, firemen, nurses, judges, football players, soccer players, they all have uniforms to show their identity, that they are a part of a larger body. Right? I put on this robe to preach because I am putting on the identity of one who has been set apart to lead the body of Christ in worship through word and sacrament. 
and each of you who have passed through the waters of baptism and have received the promises signified in baptism through faith, you have put on Christ. You are set apart. You are a member of the team. You are a part of the body. You have been grafted in. Our ground of unity is nothing but our unity with Christ through faith in the promise of the Gospel. Whenever you travel with a group, it's a good idea to have everyone in the group wear the same loudly covered t-shirts. You've done this before, right? You've gone with a group and everyone's wearing neon green or neon pink and you kind of feel like an idiot. But everyone knows who belongs together. And if you get separated, you can quickly identify where your group is going. And in these troubling and confusing times, you need to remember that you have put on Christ. You need to remember who you are with. You need to remember your identity. For it is not primarily race. It is not primarily vocation. It's not primarily gender. Your identity is not where you fall on the political spectrum or what you believe about public health decisions. If you have been baptized into the body of Christ, you've received the promise of baptism in faith, then you have put on Christ. You've been engrafted into the body. You've been made one with this family. This is your team. And so you win with this team and you lose with this team, but you don't abandon this team. And I have a feeling that people seem today to be more concerned about being right about their various opinions than being one with the body of Christ. But this is your family. And therefore, we must fight to maintain the perspective of unity. You have to consciously remind yourself of where your loyalties lie in these days. Because there are major forces that are seeking to pull you away from your allegiance to this body. And whatever side of the argument it is on, if it is pulling you away from the body of Christ, hear this. Whatever opinion that you are holding that is pulling you away from your brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever that opinion may be, it is from the enemy. It is there to destroy those bonds of unity which Christ prayed for so fervently and we must be willing to abandon them we must be willing to sacrifice them because your unity to the body of christ is your primary identity you have to remind yourself through faith i have received the promise of baptism By faith I have put on Christ. I am His and He is mine. And everyone who has been joined to Him, I have been joined to because this is my family. If we would maintain unity during these times of hardship and tension, we must know that our unity is founded in our shared faith in Jesus Christ. We must know that our unity is achieved through union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the final thing I want us to see this morning is that to maintain unity in the body of Christ, we must believe that despite all of our true differences, that unity in the body of Christ comes as we are joined into one true family of God. Look down at what Paul says in verses 28 through 29. 
He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If the coronavirus is the latest culprit seeking to destroy the unity of the body of Christ, racism may be the oldest and most powerful force of disunity in the true body of Christ. For it was ethnic tension between Jews and Gentiles that gave rise to Paul's need to write the book of Galatians. And racism and ethnocentric ideologies have continued to plague the unity of the church throughout its history. And I think that if we are honest... I think that we would all agree that in the flesh it's easier to identify with non-Christians who share our ethnic heritage than it is to be joined to Christians who look different, who may speak a different language, who may have different customs and traditions from us. These are no small issues. Nor should they be trivialized by offering simplistic solutions. For there are real and true differences between us racially, economically, and gender-wise. And we need to understand, Paul is not teaching us that these things no longer matter and that they no longer affect our lives. Your ethnicity will affect your life in major ways. Your position of slave or master, to put it in more relatable terms today, Your economic position in this world will greatly affect your life and health. And your gender will play a major role in your relationships and your familial life. Your union with Christ does not strip you of your identity. Paul is not saying that here. What he is saying is that none of these factors are the supreme and defining factor of your life. None of these are the grounds for your membership in the body of Christ. For even the most defining features of your identity do not determine your status in the family of God. It was a common prayer in the first century for a Jewish man to say this, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a foreigner. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. Now, despite the offensive nature of this prayer, it's not merely revealing Jewish prejudices. Rather, this prayer reflects the various restrictions that govern who could engage in full temple worship. It was not merely a, or it was only a free Jewish male who was allowed full access to temple worship. And so the prayer is a thanksgiving of a full invitation into the presence of God. And it's reflected here in the divisions that Paul brings out about race, about slave or master, about male or female. And yet what is so radical 
about the coming of Christ when it comes to these identities is that He has torn down the wall of division. He has destroyed the divisions that kept Gentile slaves and women from enjoying full engagement of the worship of God. For in Christ, these very powerful points of division fade into the background and all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are a true and full member of the family of God, an heir according to the promise. Yes, there are real and true factors of life, but they don't ultimately define you. For God sees you not first by your race or your economic status or your gender, but as one who has put on Christ and therefore is a true child of God. Despite our true differences, despite true divisions, through faith in Jesus Christ, through our one baptism, through the ministry of Christ, we are one. We are all in the same family. This year has presented us all with ample opportunities for disunity. But the Word of God is calling every Christian to unity in Christ. I know that as a father, there is no greater joy for me when I get to see my five children playing together well. I love to see them blessing each other and dwelling together in unity. And this is our Heavenly Father's will for us as well. That through faith in Christ, bonded together by the power of the Holy Spirit, His children would dwell together in unity. Not divided by race or class or gender. Not divided by political opinions or societal conflicts. And in no way am I suggesting that this unity comes easy. Nor that you will not have to sacrifice deeply held opinions and preferences. But it is part of being a member of a family. You have to be willing to sacrifice, to look to the needs of others, to bear one another's burdens. We are called to rejoice together and we are called to weep together. We are called in love to lay down our personal rights that the needs of others might be met. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is making a similar point as to the one he's making here in Galatians. He says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What relationship has been strained this year? What bonds of fellowship have been broken? The Word of God is calling each of us to pursue reconciliation, to offer and receive forgiveness, to live as the one family of God founded upon faith in Christ and unified by the bonds of the Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father God, we come to you now as your children. And oh, the sacrifice that you have made 
Lord Jesus, that we might be one. The prayers that You have prayed. The blood that You spilled. The Spirit that You have poured out upon us that we might be one. And yet we are like squabbling children fighting over whose turn it is to play with a toy. Not thinking of one another. Not laying down our lives for one another. But pursuing our own rights above and beyond loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, would You convict our hearts. And oh, would You drive us to Christ yet again that we would know His love and His forgiveness and that we would know the reconciliation and the peace that has been bought by the blood of Christ. Would You join us together yet again, O God? We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.